Hey everyone, just a quick heads up. In this episode, we do discuss hallucinogenic fungi and their use in culture. Oh, and fellow-shaped fungi. Enjoy! Hello and welcome to UK Wildlife Podcast. I'm Neil Phillips and I'm joined today by Lee Davies. Hello Lee. Hello, how are you? Good, thanks. How are you doing? You alright? I'm very good, very good. I think I'll point out now that me and Lee have known each other for <coughs> years since university, so, but I haven't actually spoken to him until tonight for quite a while, so it's been a great excuse to get him on. Lee, would you like to introduce who you are and what you do? Yeah, okay, okay. My name's Lee. I am one of the curators at the Fungarium at Kew Gardens, so I spend my days looking after mushrooms, pretty much. Regular listeners will know that the first thing we always go to is our latest sightings, and as the guest, Lee, you get to go first, so have you had any interesting wildlife sightings? Yes, I, which is quite cool, I saw a big pike two days ago, so I live on a narrow boat, and I'm currently moored up in Brentford, so that's right by the Thames, and there was a about two-foot pike in the water just by where I was standing by the towpath chilling out and drifting around in the water oh fantastic i do like a good pike uh, especially nice. when i'm eating ducklings really fun <laughs> lee's looking in horror <laughs> oh my god they're rather cool fish um, yeah, it was a I'm stonker sure. it's a stonking big one yeah. as well yeah top predators till an otter comes along <laughs> that's it top predators until yeah. the cormorants come along and there's a few cormorants around as well so oh yeah i remember when i was little they used to moan about fishermen used to moan about pike and now they moan about the cormorants so <laughs> There we there'll, go. Always, there'll always be something. There'll always be something. Yeah, I've, uh, I'm going to do my latest sightings from today. I had a group in at work and we did some stuff in the stream there. And one of them found my first lamprey at work. So that's pretty good. Regular listeners will know I found my first of ones in March. Still just a, a larva. A, uh, we also had a beetle that was very like a violet ground beetle, which is our biggest ground beetle. But it wasn't. It was a bronzy coloured one. And I've got a funny feeling it's called a bronze ground beetle or something like that, unsurprisingly. But the other thing we found today was a leech. A pretty sizable one, stretched out to a good eight centimetres, I reckon. And I was looking at it and I got it out of my hand. And as again, as regular listeners will know, um, I'm slightly terrified of leeches. So I was trying to show this group of A-level students not to fear them while I was <laughs> screaming inside. But when I looked closely, it bent over backwards and its belly was covered in tiny little juvenile leeches so uh, hopefully i have some photos of that to show at a later date so that'd be good yeah i think i'll leave my sightings at that for now i haven't really been out anywhere particularly in the last month thanks to the petrol shortage and various other things so lee fungi we're talking fungi should we get the pun out of the way yeah are you a fungi jesus good god oh, almighty yeah. you had to do yeah, it i'm sure you've never heard that joke before ever at all have you in your job not in the past three hours no no <laughs> oh my god it's awful it's awful never mind oh never mind we've got it out of the way we, we've got it out of the way we don't have to worry about it anymore there we go we um, can leave that one yes let's start with fungi because it is a whole kingdom so you've got back in the olden days the olden days you had three kingdoms you had animals plants and fungi 
And we've covered some plants, we've covered loads of animals, but we haven't touched on fungi because we keep saving it for autumn and we've had two autumns and not done an episode on it. So I've now got Lee on so we can fix that. So fungi, what are fungi? So, well, they're their own kingdom. They're not animals and they're not plants. Up until about 60 years ago, I think it was, people used to think they were plants because they kind of, you know, they do the whole, they pop out the ground, they grow, they don't move or do anything. So they thought they were just weird non-photosynthesizing plants but we know they're not they are in the same way that plants have a cell wall fungi have a cell wall case of plants it's made of cellulose but in the case of fungi it's made of chitin which is something you normally associate with animals like arthropods and what have you and cephalopods because they have chitin so this is what makes a fungus a fungus unlike plants of course they are not autotrophics they have to get their food from the environment around them because they can't make it themselves so the same way that animals have to eat and do all that sort of business, uh, fungi are really, really good at eating everything around them. So they, uh, in the same, well, although in the case of animals, animals are tubes. So an animal sticks food in one end, it goes through the animal's tubey bits, and it comes out the other end of the tube when it's done with it. In the case of fungi, they kind of have sort of sweat digestive enzymes and turn the environment into a soup that they can absorb. So they're really, really good at making digestive enzymes that break down things like wood and keratin and plant matter and i mean to be honest all sorts and everything so they're like super biological factories and they live on probably every part of the planet in the oceans deepest oceans up in mountains and the biggest and oldest living organism not the oldest maybe the oldest okay maybe the biggest and a very old organism is a fungus it's a thing called the humongous fungus which lives in North America. It's a type of honey fungus and it covers something like four square miles or something. QI level fact, isn't it? You know, what's yes. the biggest organism? Everyone says blue owl. It's a fungus, yeah. No, nope. it's a big mouldy thing with lots of tendrils. It's a huge mouldy thing. It's a huge mouldy thing. Yes, yes. Talking of tendrils, of mouldy things, mate, you probably explain this better, but people think fungi, they think of a mushroom or perhaps a bracket fungus or maybe a puffball sticking out the ground. But that's not the main fungus, is it? Yeah, the bit that we see is uh, just the reproductive bits. So that's that pops up for a couple of years, sorry, a couple of days each year just to do the reproductive bit. It's basically the genitals because the vast majority of the organism is underground or inside a tree or something. So that bit's called the mycelium, which is a massive thread-like mass of fungal tissue. So they call hyphae. So you have lots of little hyphae make up a big mycelium, and those can cover tens of square metres or, you know, hundreds of square metres. And then when it's the conditions are right, they stick their genitals above ground, produce <laughs> billions of spores, which go off and create new fungi. So what you're seeing is you're basically picking the, the, the fungal genitals for dinner. That's quite appropriate with a certain fungus, isn't it? I mean, yes. Yeah, there, there's the... Oh, what's it called? Um, it's a stinkhorns. Stinkhorns. Stinkhorns, that's there's, it. Dog stinkhorn and the, and the, and the, the other one, common stinkhorn or large stinkhorn or whatever it's called. But yes. For those that don't know, they're shaped like a, a male body part, shall we say. Well, I mean, they're called, the genus is called phallus for a good yeah. reason. It yeah. does look very phallic. And there's a very nice one that the one that has, a, has like a lacy skirt around it, so it looks like a, a penis dressed up. Isn't it true that some Victorian lords and stuff used to get people to go around and pick them because they were inappropriate, didn't they? I think it was Charles Darwin's sister, or one of his, the eldest daughter, mm. used to go around the woods near where they lived in Kent, flicking them into a basket with a stick and then yeah. taking them to the house to burn because they thought it was so <laughs> vulgar. It would scandalise all the young women seeing <laughs> these swathes of phalluses growing out of the leaf litter every autumn. Oh, that's good. We've got, 
We've got less than ten minutes in, and we're talking about phallus fungi. So that's that's, that's you, not bad. I just say, I sort of point out that you started that. That was not me. I did actually, didn't I? Think, I? Yes, yes, sorry about you that. did. Well, you, did you that, said genitals yeah. first. I was being scientific. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying so, to be scientific. While we're on the subject of their fruiting bodies, how do they reproduce? It's spores, isn't it? Yeah. So there are two big groups of fungi that we see in this country. There are ones that produce very very small. Mm, fruiting bodies they're like tiny jelly discs almost the other group are the ones that produce things like mushrooms and brackets and all the things that uh, puffballs things that you're familiar with so what's happening with something like a, a mushroom that you'll come across is the underside is covered in gills so like those little flappy bits of the gills and the surface of that is where the spores are produced and those spores drift off on the wind or are carried away or eaten by something and come out the other end of that something and the spores are what germinate and go on fungal sex is really weird so they don't they don't have sex as it were a fungus will spread spores the spores will germinate and start to grow and it's only then if they encounter something that's compatible that they will exchange genetic material that they don't do what we would normally associate with things like plants or animals where the, the two gametes get together and do their business and then grow into something fungi do it differently and they can stay asexual they don't always have sexual reproduction they can be asexual so if they don't meet another one they're a clone of the parent yeah and when they do exchange genetic material it's weird because the nuclei of the cells don't fuse so they will have two nuclei in each cell what yeah they, they and they can do some weird thing where they partition the cells so when they when the cells are dividing only one of the nuclei goes it's really odd they don't have biological sexes either so there's no male or female or a and b or whatever they don't have any of that at all wow they are completely without sex. There's no sex difference or biological sex difference between fungi. They really are just a totally different kingdom. Yeah, they're just really weird. And considering they're really close, you know, we're, we're closely more related to fungi than we are to plants, they're just totally alien. So how many types of fungi are there in the UK? There are something like 13,000 that we already know. Globally, they reckon we probably know about 5% of the fungi out there in the world so far. So if that's the case in the UK then there's probably another couple of hundred thousand to find. I mean, we're a small island and people have been doing it for years here, so I think maybe it's not going to be that many, but I reckon maybe there could be another couple of tens of thousands to find. But those will mostly be smallish things. They're not going to be big mushroomy things. They're going to be microfungi and things that never get very big. And there's more coming in, but we'll talk more about them later, I think. Yeah. Yeah, we there's a lot of them. Oh, some are gorgeous, some are the best, and they're not necessarily harmful. Talking of harmful, let's get another inevitable question out of the way. How many are poisonous? Well, it depends if you count hallucinogenic as poisonous, yeah. uh, but deadly poisonous, there's probably about half a dozen. Oh, so so not really much to worry like about. Death, yeah, yeah, there's not that many. There's like the death cap and the destroying angel. There's a type of cortinarius, which is toxic. Yeah, I mean, there's not that many. There's like half a dozen, and they're not necessarily... I mean, okay, if you uh, death cap, you'd be stuffed. You'd die horribly. But we don't get many poisonings in this country. It's quite uncommon. The main danger is that a couple of them look very like edible ones, don't they? Yes. So people do pick the wrong thing by accident. They look, there's, I think it's the Amanitas. So they, there's, a, there's a type of Amanita called Amanita rubescens. I think it's called the blusher, which is a, totally edible and it's apparently very tasty. But young ones look like death caps or destroying angels. And if that goes wrong, it's goodbye. Because the saying I heard many years ago was 1% of fungi are poisonous but it's not quite that high is it one percent are edible and then the other 98 percent are edible but you wouldn't want to eat <laughs> yes oh in this case in fungi it should be one percent are poisonous one percent are edible one percent are hallucinogenic oh right. the other 97 percent if you really wanted to 
We mustn't forget the hallucinogenics. Flyer Garrick, which is the Mario or fairy mushroom, whatever you want to call it, is the one that if you draw a mushroom in a fairy book, it looks like a Flyer Garrick. It's not poisonous, because I remember my nan going, oh, don't touch that, that's deadly poisonous. That's the one they used to feed to reindeer, then drink the reindeer wee, and then it is hallucinogenic in Vikings. Yeah, it was hallucinogenic before, but it, it does have a toxin in it that can make you sick, but like, not yeah. deadly. It's just, it's, I get, give your stomach upset. But about 90% of the hallucinogen goes through you into your weed. Mm. So you can drink your weed the next day and hallucinate all over again, which is if you really wanted to. <laughs> uh, just to be clear, family podcast, we do not condone and we do not recommend in any way doing any of these things. But we are, for scientific purposes, we are. Cultural purposes, because <laughs> this is what people used to do. So apparently, up in sort of Siberia and that land where they had herd, they herds of reindeer, they would feed them to the reindeer. The reindeer, being a bigger animal, would get the toxin yeah. and put it would be all right. If you drink the wee, you get a purer form. And apparently the Romans used to do it. They used to feed the mushrooms to their slaves yeah. who would get the toxin part. If it was going to make them sick, they'd be sick. But they could drink their wee and they would not get the toxin because it was only the hallucinogen that came out in their wee. Oh, wow. I mean, there's, there are legs that people go to for cultural experiences. I don't think that drawing, drinking urine would be on my list. I seem to remember a link with the Viking berserkers as well. It could be. I think there's. I think there's a, there's a few things that people reckon they've been. Eating, that they've. We've used them culturally for, and apparently that was. I think this. I, I don't remember. I've seen it, but there were suggestions that they used to use those to get off their faces before they went into battle. Yeah. Madness. I uh, see cultural fungi. Yeah, ethnomycology. There's masses of that. That podcast in itself, I think. We've sort of touched on it a little bit, but fungi don't just have one lifestyle. There's all different types of ecology, I suppose, the word I'm looking for. Yeah, so the, the vast majority are saprobic. So they eat dead material, usually plant material. So it'll be things like wood, leaves, just breaking down organic matter and recycling it and doing all that. So that's the vast majority live sort of that way, I guess. Then you have ones that are mutualistic and have a symbiotic relationship with plants. So those are the mycorrhizal fungi. And about 95% of all plant life needs to have a mycorrhizal fungus as a partner. So what happens is the fungus feeds feeds nutrients from the soil to the plant and in return the plant feeds the fungus sugars that it's producing through photosynthesis and so they they the fungus can't live without the plant the plant can't live without the fungus so that's the other symbiotic type and then you have fungi that are pathogenic so you have ones that are i mean in a way they're actually sort of saprobic they're breaking down plant material but in some cases it's live plant material or in some cases it's animal material so you have fungi that are parasitic and eat insects the, what, the obvious ones are things like zombie fungi the ones that infect ants and control their behavior and eat their insides out so there's there's those and we have a handful of species of fungi in the uk that have that kind of ecological lifestyle where they eat insects and parasitize them and do nasty things to them yeah there's the what's it called because of c is it but i've seen them they're basically the moth pupa you just get a, a red or yellow oh um, yes spike come out I yeah, that's um, called now. Cordyceps militaris. Cordyceps, that's it. Yeah, cordyceps, yeah, that's the one. Cordyceps, that's the one I think of. Because is that the ones they control the minds of an ant, don't they, and make it crawl up somewhere tall, and then the mushroom literally grows out of its head. And, of course, where it's gone up really tall, the spores spread a bigger distance. It's, yeah. uh, they've got really they've got really complex objects. They do with leafcutter ants more than anything, I think. They're like, they have this really complex thing where they, they release something, they must release some sort of compound which screws around with the brain of the ant and makes it climb high. But then the fungal tissue grows into the ant's jaw muscles and it controls its jaws like a little puppet so that when it's high, it makes it bite something and it then contracts the jaws that the ant can't let go. It's trapped 
holding on to something whilst the fungus finishes eating the insides and then it pops out to produce billions of spores. Oh, I always use irony incorrectly, but it's almost ironic because, of course, the leaf cutter ant and the fungus it farms are dependent on each other as well. So one fungus is keeping it alive and the other one's the other fun- killing yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. God, that's amazing. I've seen the other ones you get in the UK, the flies, they grip onto a stem and the legs all shoot out and then you just get this white fur coming between all the segments. Uh, yes. I photographed that in the past. That's, that's, uh, yeah, that's, that's, oh God, I think it's the Entomphthora, I think that's called something, Entomphthora. Yes, it's that a, sounds right actually. It's, yeah. yeah, Entomphthora. I th- it's, it's a weird, it's a weird, it's, it's not at all closely related to the cordyceps, it's like a, a, I think it's a different phylum within the fungi. There's a whole group that have formed these very, again, do horrible things to insects. There's an amazing one that infects cicadas. So there's all these periodical cicadas in the States at the moment, or earlier this year. There's a specific fungus that attacks these 17-year periodical cicadas, and it infects them. It makes their back end drop off. It produces hallucinogens and amphetamines and drives these cicadas into a drug-crazed hypersexual frenzy. And they spread spores everywhere. They infect others. Male cicadas end up chirping. Something's going on. The male cicadas chirp like females to attract males to them, which means that when they're trying to mate with these infected males, they're getting infected as well. It's just weird and horrendous. And they're producing all sorts of drugs. And I don't think we really understand how the heck they're doing it yet. Amazing. Were you getting people to send you samples? Yes. We had what we had a single smashed up specimen in the collection from like the 1950s or something like that. Maybe even the 1930s. So I did a thing on Twitter asking people if they were seeing them to like send them to me. So I've got like, they sent me four different bunches with like, I don't know, 50 infected cicadas from all over the Eastern Europe. Yeah. So we've, We've got, we're trying to culture them and we're doing DNA sequencing and all that sort of stuff. Oh, some good science coming in, I sense. That's oh, yes. Brilliant. Yes. Excellent. Because another one of these fungus, someone posted a picture the other day and it was a spider that was just completely white. I've seen a couple of pictures go fairly viral and people said, oh, the, the spider's frozen. It's like, no, it's not. It's a fungus that's coming yeah. out of it. It's a, it's a different thing called Jibalula. I'm sure it's something like Jibalula, which, which specialises in spiders. So there's this there's a group. I think that's kind of closely related to the cordyceps type stuff, but it infects spiders. Are they? Yeah, great. You get that. Those are quite common in the UK as well. Yeah, we've gone down a tangent, but stayed on topic yeah. at the same time. That's quite I, impressive. That's a, that's I, a new one for me. I can do huge. <laughs> I go for the time. I can stay on fungi like, but talk random weird nonsense. Don't oh me? yeah, fungal tangents. That's what's wonderful about doing a whole kingdom is that you've got quite a lot of places to go. Yeah, you? you're not limited to like beavers or a type of tree. You can talk about yeah. Everything. Let's talk a bit more about the symbiotic fungi because, like, it's mycorrhizal. You said it wasn't it. Yeah, mycorrhizal. Yeah, orchids, isn't it? Are probably the most famous example, I think. Yeah. And and the whole thing about Avatar not being complete fiction as well, thanks to the oh, fungi, isn't it? Yeah, that was yeah. The Avatar thing was it's it gets weirder. So yeah, orchids. No orchids will germinate without having a mycorrhizal fungal partner. And in Avatar, you have. Well, it's a bit obviously crazy. You've got the blue monkey people and all that. But So in your average woodland, say in the UK, you go to a woodland, nice healthy woodland, all the trees will have a mycorrhizal fungus associating with them. You'll have multiple different fungal species associating with an individual tree. And you could have, because these things can cover several square metres and tens of metres, you will have multiple trees in association with an individual fungus. So you have this huge underground network of fungal mycelium connecting all the trees and all the plants and things like that. We definitely know that the trees are feeding the fungi, sugars. What's also happening is that we know that about 5% of all the carbon that a tree fixes as a sugar through photosynthesis ends up in neighboring trees. 
there were some really cool experiments done where they isolated a tree and fed it uh, carbon dioxide with a heavier carbon isotope. And some of it ended up in the next door, trees next door because the, the sugars and what have you diffuse through the fungal network and go into neighbouring trees. It's insane, isn't it? It gets even weirder. It gets weirder. So what also happens is that if a tree is stressed out, like it's being attacked by pests or something like that, or it's dying, it will release, I'm assuming, something like tannins or some sort of stress-related compounds. Those will also diffuse into neighbouring trees so that they know that there's something going on. But if a tree is being attacked or a plant is being attacked by something like aphids and it produces tannins to deter the aphids, the neighbouring trees will start producing those same tannins or the neighbouring plants will start producing those same tannins as a defence mechanism before the aphids even get there because they're picking up passively rather than being a kind of warning they're kind of eavesdropping on the screams of distress of their neighbor kind of thing so they will react because there's a kind of rudimentary communication going on which is where it gets into the blue monkey people and avatar and everything talking to each other so what you're saying is that the two other kingdoms are ganging up on us aren't they yeah fungi and plants are ganging up on poor animals i mean i mean we do try and eat them though yeah poor animals i mean yeah this is true i mean we do we make use of fungi i mean that, okay they're ganging up and working together but like fungi do all the good stuff for us they make us like yeah. three of the major food groups come from fungi beer wine and cheese and bread sorry four food groups so yeast yeast is the most important fungus yeah, yeah that is very true i heard something i think it was beech trees are talking about and in some cases they put 50 percent at times of sugars they produce into the fungi or something ridiculous because effectively isn't it those mycorrhizas are an extension of their roots aren't they and it can sort of like yeah. double triple whatever it is multiplication yeah. their root area is it is i can't remember that this talk about using the well not using fungi as a carbon capture but the idea that you know we look at a tree will capture x amount of carbon but it doesn't all stay in the tree. It's I can't remember how much it is. It's like for every ton of carbon that a tree fixes, it'll also put an extra ton or two tons into the ground in the fungus. Because, yeah, the fungus and the roots are basically grown into one another. They fused effectively. And, of course, when they're in the ground, they're going to more likely to stay there as well, aren't they? I mean, yeah. Because a lot of the problems in... Uh, I emailed my MP about HS2, and he was talking about revolutionary techniques to recreate ancient woodland. It's like, you can't recreate that networking without hundreds of... And even hundreds of years, it's still in a woodland when the sapling starts growing, at least... Or the soil it's growing in, if it's a bit of grassland, has got the fungi in. And oh, yeah. apparently soil erosion's worse as well, isn't it? Because if you haven't got the fungi to bind the soil together, where we keep ploughing it up, it washes away in the yeah, rain. and it wind. It's... It's best, yeah, because the, the, the fungus, you need the fungus for the crops and the, the fungus likes it to be just disturbed and less nitrogen from fertilisers. The HS2 thing as well, they'll, they'll plant thousands yeah. of thousands of trees with plastic things around them and they'll never go back. So half of them won't even survive. They'll just be left no. and they'll be like, oh, we've done our thing. And it, they haven't. It's rubbish. There's no like aftercare. Not to go on too much of a tangent on HS2, but there was a big field they planted. I can't remember, it was probably a year before. Oh, it was last year, actually, last summer, when we had that big dry spell and all of them died. Yeah, that's because they, 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 they don't look after them. But, yeah. Yeah. It's the Not to mention it. they're planting up flower-rich meadows. <laughs> some yeah. places, you're like, oh, God. The, the mitig mitigation, mitigation of these things for any kind of development is rubbish. You kind of, they can dig up ancient hedgerows that are like 500 years old and stick in like half a dozen little copper beach things and they think they'll be matched it. And that's nonsense. You can't transplant. Well, they're saying they're digging up the soil or moving it, but of course it needs to be... Unless they're digging it up in... <laughs> You know, football pitch-sized pieces. <laughs> it's not yeah. going to happen, is it? Lee, I've got to ask you the inevitable question. We could talk about each group, but we'd be here till Christmas, I think, if we did that. So what is your favourite fungus? Have you got one? Can you pick one? Uh, I 
I like I, I like this. I like a lot of different types. Uh, I would say, I'd say uh, the Amanitas. So it's a group. So it's a genus of oh, Amanitas. Nice. So that's like, you know, there's the fly agaric. It's pretty. It's in all the cultural stuff. It's also hallucinogenic, which is interesting. I like the, and the things like the death caps and all those, because they're, they're just, they're really nice fungi. They're mycorrhizal. So you'll only ever find them growing in association with trees. There's, there's there's horribly poisonous ones. There's which have that themselves are useful because the toxins are being investigated because they could be used for for um, anti-cancer drugs, um, and they're just yeah they're just really pretty. They're really nice. They look good, and there's lots of cool stuff about them. Yeah, amanitas today. They are good. I did. Mm. What's the? There's like a brown version of the fly agaric, and I can't remember what it's called. Is it like panther. Panthercap. Yeah, yeah, they're lovely. Yeah, Amanita pantherina. So those are maybe probably a little bit poisonous, but not too bad. Yeah, those are one that people tend to mix them up. Bit careful not to touch them. Not that I'll wash my hands afterwards. Yeah, I've I've always had a soft spot for a puffball because there's something great about being able to poke something and it goes poof with all the spores. But a giant puffball booting a giant puffball across that booting a giant puffball is great fun absolutely yeah. hoof it and it just explodes we had a football sized one at work and i was tempted to do it but i wanted to see how big it get oh i also kept it quiet it was there because i didn't want someone to find out and harvest it for it because they quite made me quite tasty aren't they oh, um, they're, they're not tasty they're not tasty they don't taste of anything they're, oh they're just something you put yeah, in something aren't they? they don't taste of anything i mess. don't like that they're horrible i won't eat them but I was, I have, I know people who will collect them because they go, oh, giant puffball, they taste, they just don't taste of anything. So they're, they're a bit like corn, I suppose. I was going to say, I was about to say, it's basically it's corn, corn, which is basically a mushroom anyway, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I think I'm going to get my favourite. I'd have uh, puffballs up there, but if I'm allowed non-natives, I'll go into Devil's Fingers, Google it. They're just, oh, the other name, Octopus Stinkhorn. Yeah. So it's that Stinkhorn family, it's good, isn't yeah. it? And they, what's really cool is they're like a sci-fi film. First of all, you see these little eggs form on the ground and then suddenly there's almost explode, don't they? Bing, and the fingers come out and they're something from a horror movie, aren't they? They're black and scarlet red. And, oh, they look, and they're sticky and horrible. And apparently they stink, but I've got to yes. smell, as we know. They're just amazing things. Yeah, cool. But they're native to, is it Australia and New Zealand? Yes. Somewhere? Yeah, that's the, they, they, yeah, Australia and New Zealand. But they've been, I think, probably through import and export of plants and stuff like that. They've been in the south of England and they're in Europe. And they were, I think we, we have them in Kew, but they've spread and they're all over the south of England. I think Bristol, Sheffield, they're kind of spreading. Yeah, it's a new forest I saw them. So they kind of, I mean, they've been here decades now, so I guess. And they're not harmful necessarily. They're just saprobic. They're just breaking down organic matter. So they're gorgeous. They're gorgeous. Yeah, they are. They look weird as all hell, but they're like gorgeous. Yeah, long pointy fingers is probably the shape. Yeah, what is it? Isn't it? Bright red. There's some bad invasive fungi. Obviously, it's probably diseases on crops and stuff. Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of rusts on crops are fungi, aren't they? So there's stuff? yeah, it's weird because half the time we don't know where the fungi are because all you're seeing is the fruiting body a couple of times for the year. There are definitely introduced fungi that are spreading, but we don't know whether it's invasive, but they're mostly saprobic, so that's not a big deal. I mean, the obvious things are things like uh, Dutch elm disease, which is a, a fungus that's introduced mm. and kills elms. Um, ash dieback, that, that's a weird one, because that's a fungus that already lives in this country, but it's a different strain that was introduced, and that's a thing called Hymenoscyphus, I think it's called these days. So that's like a little, it's kind of quite pretty, the little fungus, a little white mushroomy thing but horribly pathogenic invasive i don't think so i don't think we have any kind of they don't behave in the same way i suppose as plants and animals 
that we know of, mainly because it's hard to monitor whether they're pushing out native species or not, because it's all happening underground. Yeah, that's the problem. You can't see it. You can't. Yeah. Can't be sure what's going yeah. on. Can you? And it's been going on for so long in this country. I mean, it, stuff. You know, sport fungals. It's it's weird one because like fungal spores, they'll come over from the continent. They'll blow over. They'll come over on birds. You know, so it's we don't really have a very secure border if you like around the country when it comes to fungi they'll they'll blow over and and it's impossible to stop them because they'll you know they'll be on your shoes if you go on holiday they'll be yeah we'll probably get to the point now where if it could survive here it's probably already here isn't yeah it? <laughs> yeah definitely oh right well it's a whole kingdom so we could probably go on for hours talking about every different group and stuff yes but we'll get you back to go into a bit more detail on some of these groups because I don't think we could do them justice skimming over them in one episode. Maybe we'll do an Amanita episode or something. Yes, pick a group. We'll do a group. Pick a group and do that. That'd be awesome. We'll do that. That sounds brilliant. Well, thanks so much for coming on, Lee. Thank you for asking. Really appreciate it. It's good to see you again as well. Yeah, it's good to see you too. Um, We'll have to meet up in person at some point soon. Maybe go look for some fun. Come to Q. Come to Q. Or we'll meet up and go look in somewhere. I love going to Q. I need to get there more often. It's just completely the wrong side of London for me Uh, is the downside. It's still worth the effort when when I go. Do it. Yeah. Well, thanks very much. Thank you very much. uh, Well, we'll see you again soon. Toodaloo. Bye-bye. And that's it from me, guys. Uh, Bye for now and see you next time. Thank you for listening to the UK Wildlife Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, then please do subscribe and leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast service you use. You can follow us on Twitter at UK Wildlife Pod, or one word. Or on Instagram at UK Wildlife Podcast. And like us on our Facebook page, UK Wildlife Podcast. And you can also post to the UK Wildlife Podcast community group. If you would like to share your wildlife news or sightings with us on Instagram or Twitter, then please tag us in the post and use the hashtag UKWildlifePodcast. And you can now support us through our Buy Me A Coffee account, which you can find at buymeacoffee.com forward slash UKWildlifePod, where you can give us a one-off bit of support or join our membership scheme. Head there to find out more. This episode was edited by Neil Phillips. The music is by Oscar Henderson. You can find him on Instagram at oscar.creates.